So let's get going with our hermeneutics study. Um, I'm going to hand you a sheet um, if you want to take notes. Today, there's a sheet for taking notes. You're both going to take notes? Oh, very good. Thanks, because I only printed out 10. <laughs> um, so uh, the, we are going to skip a lesson today, which we probably won't do again. I can't say that for certain, but the lesson we're skipping today is lesson six. It has to do with grammar. And as I listened to it a couple times, went through it, I thought, this is just not going to be helpful on a Sunday morning. Uh, he was covering everything from a noun to indirect uh, objects to prepositional phrases, and he went really fast. It was only like seven or eight minutes, but I thought it would just be a waste of seven or eight minutes. So um, all that stuff is very important. I will say that. You should know the basics of grammar when you read. It helps, okay? Uh, especially if you're getting into the Word of God and trying to figure out what it has to say. If you don't know the difference between a noun and a verb, you're going to have a hard time. So at least some of the most basic stuff would be helpful. Uh, but we are skipping that lesson, and uh, I just didn't think it was very valuable. But the next two lessons, lessons seven and eight, are very valuable. Uh, we are going to cover all of lesson seven today, and you have a sheet there. Uh, there are sheets for every lesson that we go through, but I haven't found those to be super valuable to this point. It's also a lot of paper and, and ink. But uh, for today's lesson, I thought it would be good for you to have that if you wanted to follow along and fill those in. Uh, so we're going to cover all of Lesson 7, Lord willing, 15, 16 minutes, and then I hope to get half, about halfway through Lesson 8. That lesson is over 30 minutes long, and uh, that's going to be talking about genres in Scripture. So you know, like genres of music, rock and roll, blues, country, etc. Um, same thing in Scripture where you've got narrative, you've got poetry, you've got teaching, different genres. And he covers the Old Testament first and then the New Testament. So I hope today we'll cover the Old Testament in lesson number eight. So that's my hope for where we're going today. Um, but we're going to go ahead and get started with lesson number seven. And you can turn to Jeremiah 29, have that in front of you, and go ahead and put um, a, a note, a bookmark, or something in Revelation 3. So Jeremiah 29 and Revelation 3, both of those are going to be helpful uh, today. So you want to... History matters. Okay. Um, he goes really fast for people trying to fill in the blanks, huh? <laughs> well, I'm sure what you got is fine and helpful. Um, okay, I want to just talk briefly about the, um, the Jeremiah example and the Revelation example. He had mentioned a couple of times understanding... The, a text the way the original audience understood it. And that's a great pursuit in hermeneutics, is when you study a passage, you want, to, you want to hear it the way the original audience heard it. That's our goal, because we aren't living then, obviously, and we can't take a time machine back, so we have to do the work to hear it the way that they heard it. So how does that aspect, uh, this, that element of this, apply to Jeremiah 29.11? Can you summarize how he broke that down? For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, not to harm you, but to care for you, to give you a future and a hope. Why does, how does considering history and considering the way the original audience would hear that and understand that, how does that make a difference in the way we interpret it? Let's talk about the wrong way first. In what way do Christians normally mess this up? Okay, so they, they see the verse, 
Like, ooh, that's a pretty verse. That would look great on a sign somewhere. So that must be for me. And it gets applied to individual Christians. You read it and you think, I'm a Christian. God loves me. I'm just going to apply it to me. Now, what's the problem with that? Yeah. Remember those verses he looked at (laughs) around it that people don't apply? And I think I mentioned already once in this class, you ask somebody about those verses and they don't even know what they say, right? They've never actually read the whole passage. They just hear the verse and they think that sounds great. But then you keep reading and it's like, well, wait a second. Those verses aren't for us. So just because one is nice sounding, that doesn't mean it's for us. And so the error when it comes to that Jeremiah passage is by hearing it, not thinking about the original audience, not thinking about how they understood it, not thinking about what it means and saying, well, that just applies to me. Error. Um, the Revelation passage. And the way he set that up, I, uh, I think he misspoke. He talked about how it's commonly used. The Revelation 3, Laodicea, where God says, I wish that you were, you were neither, uh, or I wish that you were either hot or cold, but instead you're lukewarm. The way I've heard that preached wrongly is people saying, well, look, God's saying, I'd rather you be all for me or all against me and not on the fence. Don't be lukewarm on the fence, but be either totally for me or totally against me. Does God wish that people would be totally against Him? (laughs) Right? That's like the first question we should think of is, huh, that sounds out of place from the rest of the Bible. Uh, That doesn't mean it's wrong, but it's like, okay, well, that's a red flag. Uh, But then, then you study the history and you find out, well, there are springs, hot springs and cold springs. Are hot springs and cold springs both useful? Yeah. Are lukewarm, is lukewarm water as useful as hot water or cold water? Well, no, it's not. And he's talking to a church. He's not talking to an individual Christian. That's so often we individualize things, and that's our first mistake. So he's not saying, uh, Bob, in the 21st century, I wish you were either all for me or all against me. Instead, you're on the fence. Well, it's time to get all for me. Or if you're not, be all against me. That's not what God is saying, and particularly God the Son speaking in that passage. He's saying to a church that you're not being useful. You've gone astray. Corporately, you've gone astray. And um, I, I don't know how much I would preach it the way he presented it with, look, Colossae and Hierapolis are these two cities. That he's, he's obviously making a play on the springs factor where Laodicea did not have springs that uh, they had to get their water imported, and so it was lukewarm water that was often unuseful. And so we need to be careful that we don't, number one, just look at every text and individualize it and say it's for me, and number two, understand the original meaning, which does take work, doesn't it? Um, now, I will say, too, he gave a caution a couple of times that this information, the historical information, cannot be elevated over the text, and that's true. Uh, history isn't inspired, and history isn't perfect, okay, like the Word of God is. So, there are times when you'll read something, particularly in the Old Testament, and then you'll see how it's used in the New Testament. And you'll say, okay, now wait a second, that's interesting. Because if I'm going purely on historical, grammatical interpretation, I never would have gotten this meaning that the New Testament has. So for instance, um, Hosea 11.1, out of Egypt I called my son. In Hosea 11.1, it's very clearly talking about Israel. It's talking about the nation of Israel, um, that they were called out of Egypt. You know, you know Israel's history. They were slaves in Egypt, and out of Egypt I called my son, Yahweh says. Well, then you get to the Gospels, Matthew's Gospel, talking about the story of the birth of Jesus, and 
he, of course, but was taken by his parents out of uh, Nazareth, out of Bethlehem, where he was born. Uh, he was taken away when Herod sent out the decree, and then they came back so that the verse might be fulfilled, out of Egypt I called my son. Now, if you, all you had was Hosea, you never would say, you never would look at that verse and say, oh, I bet this is actually about when the infinite God will take on human flesh and be found incarnate and then will flee and then be called back. You would never think that. So sometimes Scripture expands a meaning, never changes the original meaning. So just because that happened with Jesus, we don't look back and say, oh, well, that never actually happened with Israel. Hosea was never talking about Israel. Well, of course he was still talking about Israel. Of course he was still talking about uh, God talking through Hosea about the fact that he called them out of Egypt. But now we've see, we see that the meaning has been expanded, or, um, and there are other passages that we could look at too. So that's an important element. We can't say, well, apparently Matthew misused that verse. He just didn't understand history. He wasn't, he wasn't understanding the historical meaning of the text. Well, it's not that. Matthew was just as inspired as Hosea. The meaning of that verse has now been expanded. Okay. Not changed, but expanded. So, questions on any of that history stuff? Dean. Yeah. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yes. Yeah, and that's a, that's a great illustration because the Old Testament, especially as you go through narratives, it reads a lot like a nightly news broadcast where you've got a bunch of bad things going on with people, and then you've got some stuff going on where it's like, wow, that person was blessed and preserved by God, yada, yada, yada. And it's funny how we just pick out the good things from the Old Testament. <laughs> we never pick the bad things, that, like Job. Yeah, what happened to Job? That's for me. <laughs> oh, no, yeah, let's just pump the brakes on all of it. Good. Any other thoughts on history stuff before we look at genres? Okay. Well, um, like I said, hopefully we'll get through this lesson about halfway. Um, you don't have a handout for this one. Sorry about that. And I don't have a passage for you to turn to first. Sorry about that. But uh, just hang in there, and uh, we will see what he's got for us. <clears throat> Okay, yeah, challenging, good. Yep, uh, reading the Bible can be, can be really easy. Um, it can also be very difficult. You can make it more difficult than it is, but you can also make it a lot easier than it should be. <laughs> so uh, it can get a little complicated there. What do you think? Anything stand out to you from what he said? That was about 16 minutes worth there. Give me something to work with here. Give me something. Yes. Yeah, this one's like a really obvious one, but a place where someone could, you know, obviously get off too. With a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, God led Israel out of captivity. Do you think genre is important there? When you go to the Psalms and it talks about God having wings, you think genre is important there. Yeah, it is. Uh, now, I know that no one at this church would read that and say, okay, well, God has a hand and an arm and wings. <laughs> okay, But 
the, the principle is there, right? Just, I mean, that's a very obvious one where we can say, look, you got to consider if it's a poem, he's going to use figures of speech. Okay. What were you going to say, Amy? Yeah. Yes. Not always. I, now, I, I think because we are human beings made in the image of God, able to communicate, um, some of us have been going through our lives uh, longer than others communicating and, and picking up on different things, that when we go to read the Bible, we kind of have an instinct for some of that stuff, which is good. Um, but we just have to stay sharp because we can get rather dull and mess things up. So, good. Anything else you guys want to bring up before I bring some stuff up? So we've got about six, seven minutes, okay? Um, let's see, do I want to talk about that or not? I could take the rest of our time. I don't know if I want to do that. Uh, what did, what did he call Old Testament poetry? What kind of literature? The Psalms and stuff? When he was talking, yeah, with Morris Alpert or whoever. <laughs> uh, that's that song, Feelings. Yeah, our feel, it's feelings literature. And I think we, I hope we understand what he meant by that. Not, this was uh, literature that was written when someone was just really emotional and that's why it's in the Bible. Well, no, that's not it. But we obviously know, uh, if you've read your Bible, you know that there is a particular comfort that can come from the Psalms because oftentimes David or whoever was writing was under distress and under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he gives us truth to dwell on when we're in distress. And so uh, I thought that was good to, to say that, uh, that it's feelings literature, but to balance that a little bit. What about the Proverbs? That makes sense? What are you saying about the Proverbs? Would you guys pick up on that? Um, we know that these are general principles. You take train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Is that a 100% guarantee? <laughs> Just make sure that you do your part, and he'll be saved. Well, not always, right? Because we know people who uh, have been raised one way, and then as they get older, they totally depart from it. And you just think, what on earth happened? The uh, when he was talking about the different kinds of fools and how we recognize that in our children, now having five children, it's like, wow, this is really interesting to think through it that way. Uh, they're all fools because we're all born fools, aren't we? And so <laughs> there they all are, and they are different types of fools for sure. So, yeah, my parents just had to deal with one fool. But Did you have a thought, Mark? Yeah, right, right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Or or what's a newspaper? That's another thing a thousand years from now, huh? Yeah. Indeed, yes. Uh They'll catch him on a bad day, and maybe he would. I don't, I don't know. <clears throat> good. Um, when he talked about prophecy, I thought it was a good distinction. I don't know who allied all this up to get the percentages, but only 8% of Old Testament prophecy, according to these numbers, is predictive in nature. 
Uh, and, and you know this too, you read through, especially Isaiah, uh, really the first 39 chapters of Isaiah are very much about Israel's messing up, all these nations are messing up, just declaring what is happening at that time. And it isn't until you get into chapter 40 you get a lot of predictive stuff. So he said, again, the numbers again, 2% of Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah, 5% describes the new covenant age, and 1% describes events that uh, are to come after the new covenant age, uh, new heavens and new earth, that sort of thing. So, and mountaintop prophecies is very important to remember. Uh, we talk about this uh, quite a bit in our other classes too. Um, so often when we read the Old Testament, the, the author will have bunched up several prophecies. Uh, you think of Isaiah 9, 6. Um, For unto us a child is born, the Christmas verse that we all memorize in King James. Isn't it funny there are just certain verses you memorize in King James and these, you can't hear it any other way. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. What, what does it go on to say? You don't have to get it exactly right, but what are some elements that it goes on to say? Child is given. Okay. Good. Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. To the rule of his government, there will be no end. So, has that happened yet or not? There you go. One mountain peak, yes. The next peak, no. And so you, you have these things bunched up and not only do you not see any gap in between sometimes, you also don't know how long the gap is uh, because sometimes the, the gap will just be a matter of years and other times the gap will be a matter of centuries or millennia in this case. So, uh, yes, he is called Wonderful Counselor. He's been given to us. A child has been given to us. A son has been given to us. Um, yet the, the government is not on his shoulder in the sense that he is ruling and reigning on the earth as the... Uh, Bible describes as yet future. So anyway, that, that's important to remember, or to remember too as you go into the Bible. So a couple minutes left. Any other thoughts on history or genres or things that were brought up in the video? Yeah. You guys remember Scott Lance? Um, most of you met him. Um, the way he came to faith started with knowing that it was real history in the Bible. He grew up in Provo, well, grew up in the Provo area, and um, his whole life, you know, just thought it's all made up. Of course, in the Book of Mormon case, yes, it's all made up. There is no history to back up the Book of Mormon. That's been known for a long time. And he thought, well, the Bible's just like that, too. The Bible's just all made up stuff. Some guys made it up. And then when he found out, we have maps something you don't get in the Book of Mormon. We have maps that show where these places are, and here's archaeological evidence where things have been dug up, and here's this, and here's that, and here are non-Christians attesting to those people who lived. I mean, you have all that stuff going on. It, for him, it was like, whoa, okay, this is real. And so it, it does make a big difference uh, when we realize these are real people living at a real time in a real context, and the Bible becomes more colorful the more we understand that stuff, doesn't it? Uh, really adds depth to it. Not to mix my metaphors. So. One minute left. Yes, sir. Uh huh. Yes. Yeah, and that's going to come up in the sermon today too, uh, because we're covering the verse: "All things are lawful." 
What did Paul mean when he said all things were lawful? Well, study that some more. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> yep, and there's no perfect way. I think he did a good job explaining that. I lean toward his view too, uh, but there is no perfect way to divide that up and say, okay, this is exactly what it is. Um, about how the law applies today. It's a difficult thing. Because to the Jewish mind, all those laws were moral. Right? They were given as a whole. Here they are. These are yours. And so when we go through and say, okay, well, this one's moral, but this one is strictly civil or ceremonial, a lot of times we're right. But in a lot of cases, too, you look at it and you think, okay, well, I don't know which category that would fit in. Right? And again, we're not under the Mosaic law. So um, God has an eternal standard of morality that is revealed in different ways, different administrations throughout the ages. Uh, we just have to do our best through diligent study to see what applies today. Okay? All right, well, why don't I close us in prayer, and then we'll study the Bible together in the sermon later. Father, we thank you so much for this day that you've given us, and we thank you for good resources that we have to think through these things. It is so important that we understand not only that the Bible is your word, but that we've been called to interpret it rightly. Give us the mind that we need to understand what you have said and apply it to our lives in a way that honors you, a way that pleases you. Give us diligence and strength and endurance as we go through this life, not just living, breathing, doing the things that are on our calendar, but as we seek to truly uh, glorify you in accordance to your revealed will in your word. Please give us great uh, unity and insight and love as we help one another in this task. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.